start off as we always do and thank you out there for checking out this episode of those people a podcast about people with people as usual i'm your host mitch Gaines. you can find me at mitch Gaines anywhere on the internet that i want to be found if this is your first time checking out the show thank you thank you thank you we are so happy to have you here those people again is a show with people about people where we explore all the labels that others give us and that we give ourselves every episode we sit down with a different guest we interview them about their stories their successes their struggles all the important s words really but most importantly we kick it with them about the people who are involved so if you love it we love you to go out and go tell a friend if you hate it we hate you and please kindly shut the fuck up forever i'm just kidding about that last part but if you hate the show for real please shoot me a note at mitchgains at gmail.com and tell me what you hated uh and maybe we'll do a little bit better next time as always, I also want to take a quick second and remind all of you who do love the show, or just some of the people that we've had on the show, to please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It really helps other people discover this show. Platforms we're now available on include Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Pocket Cast, my personal favorite, Radio Public, and a whole bunch more. If you happen to be a Google or an Apple listener and you like the show, it would mean a lot to us if you could rate and review the podcast, but only if you like the show. Save the hate takes for Twitter, where again, you can find me at Mitch Gaines. That's Gaines with a Y, because I'm a little bit gay. G-A-Y-N-S. I am joined today on those people, uh, whatever episode this is going to wind up being, uh, by one of my favorite guests I was probably excited to have on the show when I first launched this podcast. Uh, it is Ben Dulong, who is a photographer specializing in high-end luxury automobile photography. Also does some work in cityscapes, nature, landscape, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to have him explain to me because I am not an artiste. Uh, he's also working hard to bring his music to his forefront of his career. Uh, so he plays several instruments. I know him probably best as a jazz saxophonist. Is that the per- from- Term? Yeah. I should know this because I played saxophone as a child. Yeah, saxophonist is appropriate. All right, as a jazz saxophonist, uh, but probably I, I would describe it as uh, some more new age jazz fusion, a lot of funk elements. Yeah, is that a fair categorization? That's good. Yeah, any any, however you hear it, that's I want to know about it. Um, that that's fair. Uh, so so I am I'm excited to uh, welcome the man you are hearing here today. Uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Awesome, man. Uh, so I kick off every episode, I ask everybody the same two questions to get started. The order is very important. First things first, I need a conversational safe word from you. So the way this works is the same way as a sexual safe word. If you get uncomfortable, I'm doing anything weird, I ask weird questions, you want to not get into certain territory, you say this conversational safe word, I will back off, we will change topics. Also like sex, if you need to use a safe word like more than five times, then it's probably really fucking weird. We should just like go our separate ways and like talk about this another time when cooler heads prevail. So, with that said, what is your conversational safe word? Haddock. Haddock. Oh, that is so New England. I love it. Uh, it is, it's a real joy doing some of these in person and just getting, like, the, the real local flavor of my life in some of our, our guests. Uh, I've done uh, a fair share of these kind of, like, nationally. I've done uh, in, in my candidate series, uh, but then a couple of them here locally, uh, here in Boston and here in, in the area. Uh, and I will say the safe words certainly vary. Locally. Uh, <laughs> the second question, uh, I already know the answer to, but I obviously want to give some more context to. Uh, I start off everywhere with is, where are you from? Uh, I was born in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Um, and I lived there until I was 
19, 19, I'd say. And then I've been living essentially in Boston ever since, or the greater Boston area. Okay, so you never, you didn't leave the Boston area at any point? I have not. Cool. Except, uh, I'm sorry, it was a year and a half in Worcester, but still. I, uh, I mean, Boston. yeah, that's, to, to anyone outside of New England, that's Boston. Uh, and so I, I obviously, we grew up together, uh, in Gloucester. And so I knew Ben at a very young age. We played, I think like U seven or U eight soccer together. Yep, definitely. Uh, <laughs> One of those two numbers. Team Burgundy or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and green, I think. Too. And green. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Uh, and so, but then we fell out of touch at like age 11 and then became close friends at like age 21. Uh, and so I don't know a lot about your life kind of in between. So I guess I want to start by taking it through kind of the air, like, I, I know little Ben, uh, Ben's parents were cool, Ben lived in the same neighborhood as me, it seemed like everything was swell, I don't really know much else, uh, so what is, like, young Ben's, like, actual life like, other than, like, <laughs> soccer and, like, graham crackers? Um, so, I would say that, like, my perception of that portion of my life was probably mostly shaped by, I was... <laughs> I was allergic to 65 foods and, like, probably twice as many environmental environmental allergies. Um, So that was kind of, like, what what dictated my day-to-day routines and, like, you know, went to... Is that still a thing? Are you still allergic to, like, everything in the world? No, I'm, like, not allergic to almost anything at this point. I have, like, very localized reactions to certain fish. Um, Your safe word is haddock. <laughs> okay. I still love fish. Like that's the problem. <laughs> and like, is this like dies. some crazy like medical thing when you're younger? Like oh just, yeah, like, no, wild, it was, like, hospital it was, visits and everything. Oh no, entirely. Like 100. percent Like skin so this test. Why I like, didn't see you at all besides like soccer. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. And like not everybody's parents were like prepared to have you know like wheat free, peanut free. Because um, this is way before, like, like that is common now. Oh, right? Like, yeah. every school has to have, like, a, like a soy-free milk <sighs> and, like, a wheat-free bread and, like, the whole deal. Dude. But, dude. like, at, in 1996 or 7 or whatever this is, is, like, not really the vibe. It was not a thing that people did. They were, like, gluten-free bread was, like, a joke. It yeah. was literally a joke. That was the only concept anybody had of it. But, in fact, there was a point where my parents were like, Ben really deserves some sort of bread. Like, he can't keep going to school with these weird-ass, like, food things. Like, we got to get him some bread so he can look like he's having... He can have a sandwich like everybody else. Right. For, like, assimilation sake. Right, yeah. You know, just, like, he can't be too weird. He's kind of weird already. And then there's the allergies. (laughs) So, they... My mom spent, like, a shit ton of money. Do you remember the fish market kind of, like, right in Maplewood? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she went to those guys, okay. which is bizarre. Just such a strange place, like, of all of the for, places. For those of you yeah. who are not from Gloucester, Massachusetts, I will say, it's like, uh, it's right up the street from Burnham's Field, which was like the, the shady hangout for all of, like, the, the youth of our generation. And it's just like, okay, there's like this kind of dark, weird, creaky street and then a fish market at the end of it. Because it's a fisherman town and there's a fish market everywhere. But it's like a kind of a weird place for it. But like, so, uh, reputable business. I don't know anything bad about them. But no, they were for context. Like, it's a, a weird, shady place. It was a weird place to have Especially a good you, fish market. Yeah, and to find like <laughs> allergen-free like. We work, yeah, you know, farm to table, or yeah. ocean to table, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're the coastal farm to table. That's I, yeah. I would say that's accurate in the food culture there. <laughs> but yeah, so she spent like a ton of money getting them to spend like hours. I think it took him like cumulative like five days to come up with this recipe that had no gluten. No um, butter or dairy or eggs, I think, at the time. Maybe there was eggs. Maybe there was butter, too. No, there was a shit ton of butter. It was like butter, molasses, rice, 
and like it was delicious bread like it was honestly phenomenal like it tasted great it was entirely functionless because (laughs) as soon as you like gave it and he's like you required any like torsional and they're like you're trying to make a sandwich or right you take a bite out of it and the whole thing would just fall apart they oh, would just crumble weird. around the like roast beef and cheese and so mayonnaise, like breadcrumbs. Like you had something resembling granola. <laughs> yeah, it was still delicious though. Um, <laughs> so that was like a major portion of my like very young life, huh. and um, and so when do you get all that like figured out by? It just like through like an incredibly healthy diet that my mom was like super focused on. And, like, we all ate incredibly healthy, like, long before this was a trend. Like, she was just like, we should just eat, like, natural foods and, you know, lots of vegetables and fruits. And, you know, we should, like, eat the fr- vegetables raw because, like, that's the where their nutrients are, you know, most stable, whatever. And so, like, little by little and slowly, like, acclimating me to things. Like, socialized with people who ate peanuts. I wasn't, like, deathly allergic to peanuts in, like, a environmental sense, but consuming them would produce a, you know, anaphylactic shock. But, like, slowly over time, I just kind of lost allergies one by one. Uh, we also did um, allergy shots, so it's, like, slowly building up an okay. immunity um, for trees and dogs and something else. So, like, that kind of cleared up the seasonal stuff, plus then I could hang out with dogs, which is great. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not even going to lie. I'm not much of a dog person at all. And I still, know. like, I couldn't imagine, like, a, I couldn't imagine a life, like, without dogs. Even just to, like, scoff at and be annoyed by, like, they're, like, a part of life, man. Like, I've just none of my friends had pets. It'd be kind of weird. Yeah, it would just be <laughs> kind of strange. It's just something very special about, like, seeing people with animals. Um, so just, like, slowly over time, that became less of a feature in my life. Um, started, I picked up saxophone by age eight, um, and just really fell in love with it. And, and just, and so I was going to ask, so how, how young are you getting, like, I remember you, like you said, you're, you're the, you're the weird kid at the peanut free table and everything, but you're also the, like the weird artsy kid. Uh, and so like, I w- What's kind of, like, fostering that at a young age? Like, obviously, I'm sure, like, you're playing sax and stuff, like, through school and stuff like that, but, like, when you get into it, like, hey, like, art in general is kind of, like, my vibe now. That's a great question. Um, (laughs) I don't... I couldn't pinpoint it exactly. I just... From the earliest memories of, like, a, you know, a creative sense, I just remember being involved with some sort of art. So, I I know I went to this, like, this little hole-in-the-wall art school run by this kind of kooky total like 90s artsy woman she okay. was awesome i think her name was patty and it was on main street like it was this cool kooky place where like kids would come and do great art and like it was not awesome art space, though, right? not art yeah, space yeah. Okay. but she knew chef obviously okay. everybody yeah. knows chef everybody knew the art space um so for those that. on the ether who, who are kind of looking for context uh if you've ever seen chud the the 80s cult classic mm-hmm. uh shep abbott the director of that ran a a, a collective like art uh, space art, a, art spa- yeah a literal art space. <laughs> it was an art space yeah it was like studio space it was classes it was like a kid hangout they like, had uh, live shows yeah. fridays and saturday nights that yeah, was that place was amazing that place was great that was such a boon to that community oh absolutely um so yeah so there was that at some point like musicality was I, I I think I was saturated with that I, I think I had like some sort of like learning piano it's like it was just present in my life okay I think my parents were just like let's throw everything at him and see what he does well with so that's I guess that's that was gonna be my follow-up is like I one of the weirdest things to me about like the way my childhood played out is like even the the close friends that I keep in touch with from like a very young age like I said like we've known each other since like seven or eight like my friend Jesse and I go back about the same age a few others and it's like 
I, I think about that and I know so few of their like family relationships because like my childhood was just like weird like I you know my like my parents both worked a lot like I started working at a very young age like most of my friends lived in like other parts of town as well so I was like running around all the time I started moving like I went to school like high school other places and so it's weird because like we've known each other all of our lives literally since childhood most people you would be like cool like you must be like close to their families and everything and like I don't think I've spoken or seen your parents since we were like 10 so mm-hmm. like are they together are they cool like what what are your parents like <laughs> and like how did they clearly they like kind of gave you a lot of freedom and space but i also know didn't you you went to a, like a private like uh like a religious high school right i went to, yes that was actually my choice okay um so i guess let's start with parents yeah we'll, we'll start with the parents we'll, we'll work up to the um, high school so they're still together okay. um dad was raised in gloucester um son of a, a rigger, actually. He was, like, one of the last people who really knew how to, like, rig ships and make, oh, sure. okay. like, line for, and rope for ships. Um, it's actually a little portion of the Cape Ann Heritage Museum is dedicated to him. Okay. okay. Yeah. Stan Dulong. Um Shout out Stan. Yes. Thanks, Grampy. Um, <laughs> so, like, French-Canadian family. Um, not Catholic, surprisingly, if I'm not mistaken, but definitely religious, like, he and his wife, Grammy, like, they would go to church every Sunday. Uh, father wasn't particularly religious. Um, second youngest of five, only boy. Um, didn't really leave the island, as far as I understand. Um, That's such a Gloucester thing that I don't understand. Dude, but, it's, like... It's 50 minutes from the city, and, like, I, I don't know, now that I live in the city, like urban life is just way different. I understand that. Like, they're separate things, but like, it's so weird to me that you can go 45 minutes away and be in an isolated, literal island culture. Yeah, it's wild. It's so, and like, somebody, I don't remember who, like, my parents and I were on some vacation somewhere, and we ran into this dude, and he was like, oh, you're from Gloucester. You know, I read something somewhere that said there's two locations in the world that have like a, um, like a magnetism, and I'm using air quotes here, um, that just, like, when people move there or grow up there, they have the most difficult time leaving these two places. One is in some portion of France on the Mediterranean, hmm. and the other is Gloucester. <laughs> and I, I, even if that's entirely just, you know, bullshit, like, I get it. Part of me always wants to go back. I mean, you go back, yeah. and you're just like, oh, right, I was fucking spoiled as a child. Yeah. Dude, we could go to the beach. We could go to the forest. You could go to a quarry. You could ride your bike everywhere. It was quiet where we lived. Literally one cop a day. Uh, one cop a day, but yet there was still like, fun- not like common, but functioning public transit. You can get around the city like by bus. Like it was a relatively safe place. It was also like, not population wise, but geographically a very diverse place where it's like it's a very large and because it's an island, it's all like just one town because it's pretty like spread out. But like you have woods, you have ocean, you have cliffs, you have like rich neighborhoods with beautiful like homes and like coastal mansions essentially. You have like regular ass like Joes who like a working class people who like work on docks and shit. You know what I mean? You have like a pretty decent art scene for a place that's essentially isolated from anywhere else. Uh and so it's just like a it, like you said, it's a, a very kind of close knit but weirdly so self functioning that like people don't really leave. And yeah. Once you leave it's like you look at it like what the fuck are you all doing yeah, why uh, are you still you're just, like it's but so it's a beautiful thing in its own sense i i don't like it's i, I think, think it's part it's, of why i don't go back so often honestly yeah i don't <laughs> understand because like you but you like you get addicted to it like oh. you're, you're like you fall in love with it all over again like with good reason yeah no it's just like i there's always part of me that's like i need to own property in gloucester i don't think i could ever lock myself down to that place until i'm like maybe raising a child because like that's a great place to raise a child mm. until they're 18 expensive now though 
Very true. <laughs> Not all of it, dude. There was a place I went for like two nineteen recently. True. Um, I gotta get us out of gloss mode because I'm gonna lose half my audience. Yeah. Well, anyway. Let me, let me anyway. Ask, uh, is your mom from there too? Or she? No. Okay. Um, there, there we go. Perfect. They were perfect. This is great. <laughs> Look, sorry, I just really like Gloucester. Anyway. Um, Weirdly, I've, I've really, I, I think that was what's weird about getting into that conversation is like, I say I hate Gloucester all the time. People from Gloucester, I'm sure, are going to listen to this podcast and be like thrilled that uh, I finally said something nice about Gloucester because I feel like I just shit on Gloucester all the time. It's like, I really do love it. Like, it just like, it took some time away to learn how to love it again. No, it's like, it's like your parents. Not there yet. Okay, I understand. <laughs> That's how I feel with my parents now. Anyway, so my mom was raised split between like Duxbury, Belmont, Cambridge. Okay. I. Sorry, mom. I would say she was kind of like the last of the debutante culture, without being a debutante, like Interesting. in debt, like by definition. Okay. But like, you know, upper middle class white. Okay. Um, like New England waspy. N- sort of, but okay. German family. Okay. Ooh. Might have to edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, German family. Um, her yeah. dad was. He founded a dye company like ages ago in the U.S. or like grandfather, um, so like, but by the time it kind of reached her end of the generation, her father split up with her mother, and then got married to somebody else, and then that kind of caused you know the traditional kerfuffle and like kind of fucked things up. And like, she was definitely the like artsy child, you know, the like rambunctious daughter, and so she kind of grew up in those two areas. Plus, you know, like cool like summer place up in lake george and so um, how does how do they meet and like how do they end up in gloucester dude i, <laughs> I just learned that story because shannon was over one day with us and she's like how did you guys meet and i was like that's a good question <laughs> thanks darling <laughs> um so they i guess so my mom did you know there was a restaurant in lanesville yeah yeah so my mom used to work there and i guess my dad was a guy who'd come in and not be an obnoxious asshole it's, I, I say this, and I, this is a podcast about identity, and I just want to give this advice to all young men out there. I'm not an old man. I'm not even a wise man. But let me tell you, this has been working for years as attributed to your debt. All you have to do, and I, ladies, please don't be offended by this, because I'm not saying that you shouldn't do more than this. I'm just saying if you are a real piece of shit, and you're just trying to be 10% better, this is all you've got to do. Show up. Shut up. Be kind. Works every time. Yep. That's it. Just be If kind. you show up in a room full of dudes and you're just not the asshole, it works every time. You don't have to be even a decent guy. You just have to be not shitty. And if all the men could do that, everybody would be getting laid for like a whole nother generation while we figured out how to turn some of you into decent people. And it would be great for society. <laughs> so if we could all get on board, that'd be fucking awesome. That'd be super handy. And then, you know... It's just a much more pleasant place because isn't it tired? And don't you get tired of fucking flexing all the time? I, I, you would think. You, you would hope. Anyway. So your so dad is ahead of his time. Yep. Your, your dad makes like the smart play. He walks in. He's the real cool guy in the room. Learned it from my pops. Okay. I yeah. See. Yeah. So that's how they met. Um. Got married. My mom was forty-two and she had me. And so. Was she, I, I guess, like, uh, this is not me trying to shit on your dad, but, like, debutante culture, like, ocean, like, island rigor. Like, she's just cool with, like, my life's going to change a lot. Oh, no. By the time by the time she met my dad, I think she was, like, totally on her own, had totally let go of that whole culture. Okay. Like, she was always keen on, like, working for herself. Interesting. Okay. Uh, she used to be a, a counselor for, like, um, incarcerated youths. Really? And, like, 
a couple other like like mentally unstable youths and like used to take them out in the woods of Alaska to camp like unaided for a week, you know, like actually go out and hike with all your gear and all your supplies and your like cooking shit and like chill out there. Just with, like, like these unplug like unplug seven day survival, like build with, yourself like, a shelter and like make a fire and like let's do this shit. Violent adolescent offenders. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I lived with some of them for a while. Like, I'm yeah. very familiar with those kids. Like, that is, whoa. Yeah, no, like she's <laughs> kind of badass. Like, yeah, I was gonna say. You're, but you know what's funny about that is like the people, the people I met in those places who were the best at those jobs, the they were those like kind, soft badasses. Like, I I am so nice all the time. You know, if it gets loud, it's coming, and you're not gonna be able to handle this. Yeah, and I don't you care know what you think that's coming from like a five three white lady. Like, I'm gonna fuck your life up. Right. <laughs> right and it's like it's this weird exercise in privilege where it's like only only white women can get away with that right like who else is five three and a hundred pounds and can be like i'm just gonna be like polite all the time and when i get loud like dudes who are like six five and literal murderers like get scared and like i've I, you know what i mean like that's not it it's not like we're scared of your physical presence we're scared of the authority that you bring and like the like the can i see a manager working and my life getting a lot worse you know this what I mean? this hard shift between these two states is very it's very disarming <laughs> it's very disarming when 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 you would get very upset um so yeah what that's is, how they met and what is okay so like Obviously, your parents gave you, like, a lot of freedom at a young age, it sounds like. In certain ways. Well, definitely it, in certain ways. Well, I guess because, like, th- there is this section of your life, as you mentioned, is, like, very regimented, right? Like, if you eat the wrong thing, you're literally going to die. So, like, everybody's in high alert 24-7. But it seems like in other areas of your life, it's like, cool, like, play whatever instruments you want to play. Like, do whatever art you want to do. Take whatever, you know, take whatever hobbies you want to take. And, like, we're not going to, like, force your hand or anything, like... We let you pick your own high school. Like it seems like they were pretty like open minded in kind of your creative awakening. They, they definitely were. Like they definitely played a huge positive role in helping me, you know, realize my creative potential. So like that's super great. I really appreciate that. That like that's really appreciate that from them. Um What's the I guess what's the learned perspective from having like as, as you mentioned kind of like older parents because you said your mom had you at forty two. I mean she's in her sixties or so. Like as you're in high school, like. I, I, on one hand, I'm like, I never want to be like the older parent because I'm like, I want to be like healthy and everything, but you guys are eating nothing but like fucking fruits and nuts and <laughs> healthy, clean eating. So I'm sure she's a spry lady. And it's like, if that's not a problem, it's like, I feel like having wisdom and like life experience and being able to like, just kind of like watch your kid and like guide their life instead of like trying to do that while chasing your dreams. sounds like a really nice way to grow up. Like your parents are just like super present and available and like here for it and have resources and shit. Like that sounds really nice, man. Yeah. You know, I couldn't tell you. Um, (laughs) it's like the same thing as asking like, um, somebody with brother, like with like brothers or sisters, like, what do you think it would be like to be an only child? Like you just have no concept. Like, I've thought about that. Like, what would my parents were, like, wildly different people? And they're like, <laughs> my dad was like, you're going to become a carpenter like me. And I'm like, that would have been, that would have been weird. But it's just, <laughs> I, there's, I have no tools to describe that to myself. I have no idea. Well, and so it, it's interesting to me because I, I found as I've gotten older uh, and as my, my digital creative professional career has, like, diversified a bit, uh, I... Most of what I learned and most of what I can, like, attribute as far as, like, I, I guess, theory and thought process around, like, design and my eye for art in general comes not really from art but from, like, craftsmen. Like you said, like, we, I, I grew up on an island with a lot of people who are, you know, dock hands and riggers and sailors and carpenters and masons and, like, 
these are the, like the men of my life. And though I am certainly not one of these dudes, right? Like I, I'm a prissy, pretty dude who like, I, I can call a guy to work on a lot of things and like, I can maybe fix some basic stuff. And they won't trust you to handle a hammer. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just like laugh at you when you show up on the job site. Like I'm that guy. I know that. Well, I'm like, I've embraced it at this point in my life. Uh, but it did, like, really shape my eye for, like, good work. You right. Know what I mean? And whether that's, like, in mechanics or in carpentry or in, like, paint. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? absolutely. No, there's like, always, like, a core value reflected in, like, values, weight, proportion. That, like, form doesn't follow function or vice versa. I think sometimes they mirror each other. Where, like, the most efficient form tends to be also, like, a various, like, appealing and, like, simple and, like, communicates to you on a base level as opposed to, like, you know, certain, think, like, a, a visual representation. Sometimes you have to have, like, a lot of context and a lot of, like, insight into this particular person's work to understand what they're doing with these shapes, colors, you know, patterns, textures. Um, but, like, very simple things tend to speak, like, very directly to like the hind lizard brain <laughs> like, i tried fucking everything i'm just bad at a lot of this stuff but like i really do love it and like that's i i find myself writing a lot and now recording a lot and like that works for me but like i do like i have an eye for it and a love for it but like very few people to share that with because most of my life later in life is business right like i it you know did we hit our quarters this week did you make enough sales did you like we, you know, here's some spreadsheets here's some marketing plans whatever and just like yo what happened to like art <laughs> dude oh Yes. Uh, so I, I guess I, to keep us on uh, trajectory here, yeah, because we're bad at that. Uh, is that happening for you, kind of in high school age, where you're kind of like finding your eye and finding your style and figuring out like, do, do I want to paint? Do I want to draw? Do I want to be an illustrator? Do I want to be a photographer? Where you ended up? Do I want to be a musician? Where like you've been like throughout for a long time? Like where do I want to act? Like how do you decide? Uh, I would like, say where, that where was... is that coming from? I would say that was probably high school, although I didn't do any visual arts, like, at all in high school. Okay. I middle, elementary and middle school, I was at a private, very, like, strange, not even Montessori, but, like, no, it was, a, yeah, it's Phoenix School in Salem. Phoenix? Oh, okay, oh. Yeah, okay. one of those we're getting, like, kids. way too inside. Anyways, yeah, okay. but, yeah, mixed, mixed grades, no walls, kind of this, like, team building thing, but, like, we did art all the time, all the time, so... So your mom isn't like a former debutante, just like being a debutante. No, 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 not even like, not even like I'm just being like a normal person. She's kind of like a hippie. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, one hundred percent. I'm starting to get yeah. the picture here. Okay. I would never describe her that way, but when people are like, "Is your mom a hippie?" It's like, oh, she's not. Yeah. A hi- she's not a hippie, and like I'm gonna go camp at like a deadhead oh. festival, like whatever. But like a hippie, and like not even a hippie. She's a, a social justice warrior of her era. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna work with at-risk youth. I believe in like forward-thinking educational uh, like concepts and like empowering young people to make their own decisions. and no. That kind of thing. Yeah, like a okay. moral justice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like moral justice better than social justice. That's uh, yeah. that, that a just has unfortunate part. connotations at that, this point. That's what I mean. Yeah. <sighs> Ugh. Okay. Fucking so. language. Anyway, um, so throughout high school, I really like dug in on the on the music thing. Um, I practiced every day. Like started really developing my concept of theory. And by the time I was wrapping up high school, like I would say confidently that I had a much firmer grasp on like classic jazz like modal theory than I have at any like that I have had in the last nine years of my life like I just really it's gone it's fucking gone and it's frustrating <laughs> and like it's there all I need to do is practice mm. and you know practice and well, you, don't have to, you don't exactly have the practice time you had no, it's not the same when you come home after work and you're like oh video games 
Oh, watching TV mindlessly. Oh, I'll eat some ramen, and then I'll fall asleep in my chair. That's awesome. <laughs> Thrilled. Good job. Versus coming home when you're a teen, and your parents are like, do your homework. Oh, you haven't practiced yet. 45 minutes. Practice. That wasn't 45 minutes straight of practicing. You took a 20-minute break in the middle. I don't care what you were doing. <laughs> so, like, you get better at it, and, like, that's uh, something that... This is going to be a very pathetic thing to admit on air, but honestly, that's how I feel about reading. It's like, when I was really? a child, like, I, I read hundreds of books like and i'm not like i read way above like my grade level and everything like i was reading roots at like age 10 like my dad had me on all the yeah, i was reading desmond tutu i was reading Haley. i was reading like all this shit all that good shit and then i was like okay cool i have like this very emancipated young adulthood and it's like what do you what would you do if you essentially like didn't have to talk to your parents and like were on your own at like 19 oh i i know exactly what i do i just smoke weed all the time but so, you do all the 19 year old shit right, right. like I'd, I'd go like Buy a bunch of porn mags, go to a bunch of parties, get a fake ID so you can go, like, drink with your friends, smoke a bunch of weed. And it's like, it, yeah, like, who needs to read a book? I read all the time in college, you know what I mean? So right. it's like, I'm only reading, like, required reading and maybe, like, two books a year from, like, two years before that, reading, like, literally hundreds. Like, I'd, I would read a novel every three or four days, you know what I mean? Uh, and I was on top of any, like, nonfiction I was reading. And it's just like, I'm glad I banked all of that, but then it's just like, ten years later, like you said, it's hard to recall. Yeah, no, it just doesn't stay with you. It will never stay with you. I, I understand about the reading. I'm super glad I've started reading, like, recently. Can reading I, a lot more. Can I ask a weird question about that? Yes. It, did that ever happen with, like, reading music, where you went from, like, playing sheet music all the time and, like, structured music to playing, like, more, uh, like, improv and kind of out? No. Okay, I, I okay. actually picked up, so our drummer had it's been writing out, like, like, notating all of our songs mm. and I picked up one of his songs and within like two minutes I recalled all of the <laughs> all of the Oops, sorry about that. all of the you know like the bass skills like that was kind of a bicycle thing but it's like reading okay. where right. like you see the words like I know how I know words okay I can, I can do words <laughs> but um, yeah but well, that's the thing it's like okay I can do words but then you start reading words and it's like it okay I've been reading you know the I've been reading Rolling Stone and like the sports page right and then you go to like crack open you know I, I don't know. That's what I mean. I'm, I'm, uh, you go crack open like Tanahasi Coast. Well, that's a bad example. He's an easy reader, but like that's what I mean. But I know like, you things mean, of yeah. like that much depth and like length, and you're just like, oh, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm out of rhythm. You know what I mean? Like yes. I'm, 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 I'm a note behind. So I'm not like reading at the speed of the song, if you will. On the improvisation thing, that comes part and parcel with the the more like broader concept of reading music where like you read the melody you learn how to play the melody but now you're also looking at the the choral structure that the melody is implying all over the choral structure that is provided by the rest like the rhythm section um and so what you're doing what comes from that is a, an ability to describe multiple different tones and leading tones through like so you can improvise like you know charlie parker miles davis like that kind of like that level where you're doing these modal things where you're like well off of like just reading the notes and like playing off of like the melody um but that came from reading like learning to read music but i don't i could i wouldn't say that that's where it, like it, it was bolstered by it yeah. but it wasn't like the the root of it i don't know I don't uh, know. I'm gonna ask a weird from. question, uh, just as somebody who grew up on a lot of jazz myself. Like, who introduces you to jazz? Because you my speak parents. a lot about jazz, like theory and like how influential that is in your musical career. Like, how how young and like what are you listening to? Um, probably from birth. Both parents love jazz. My father loves jazz. Loves jazz. Um, Davis, Coltrane, Parker, 
uh, Monk, uh, loved Herbie Hancock. Oh, language. I fucking love Herbie Hancock so much. Foreplay, uh, Harvey Mason, oh uh, Stanley Clark. I wish you know what I you know what I've been recently introduced to, and I don't. I think it was like just past my father's like scope. George Benson and that like smooth jazz kind yeah, of stuff. I like, love smooth jazz. Dude, I get shit for that all the time. Fucking I, like, fire though. Listen, you, you want my hottest take in the world? Here you go, internet. Clip this one out. Share this with all your friends. Kenny G is fucking good. Yeah, no, he Fuck is. all of you who ever mocked Kenny G. Kenny G is a fucking legend. He's invited to every cookout. Fuck anyone who says I'm not black enough to give him the invite. Kenny G can roll with me anytime. That's my guy till I die. I fucking lo- I grew up on so much Kenny G music, and I like you get. I feel like you it's the black equivalent of saying that you like Nickelback for like white people. Like you can't admit you like Kenny G, but like, no, nah, that's my guy, man. I'm no, sorry. Kenny G's great. Look, like, it's like one of my fondest memories of my father is like listening to Kenny G. Yeah. <laughs> Art Porter. <laughs> we'll pop something on later. Hey, hey exactly. Um, uh, so, so, so that's a, like a very young age. Very uh, young age. I want to. And Steely Dan, which so, I was, I fought violently against and, uh, until he's just stopped putting it on around me. And when I was like 13, I think, or probably just stopped riding the car with him as much. <laughs> Uh, I'm not violently opposed, but I was like, oh, this is dad rock. And then I was introduced <laughs> to that in college. And uh, it, I, it was, I feel like dad rock gets a lot better when you're smoking weed. It just makes more sense. It, it just, and then you're, I, you know, anyway. So yeah, that was, that's my musical in our, background. I, so I, hmm, how do I want to, for, I don't want to spend too, like, I, I don't want to waste too much of our time here, but uh, not waste, but. I'm always curious about musicians kind of influences uh, and a couple of the other musicians I talked to for this podcast. I didn't get a chance to dive into this with, so bear with me folks out there. This will be a long one and I apologize. Uh, but I, one of the weird things about growing up in a household, listening to jazz is like you're a musical purist for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying that to be like an elitist douchebag, but like if you grew up listening to exclusively like either classical or jazz, as like a young person, even if you get into like really good rock or like really like interesting, like world music or fusion or Caribbean music, like jazz will kind of like, uh, uh, taint your ear a little bit for other things so when do you get into like popular music or do you ever because I, I know you don't listen to a lot of jazz a lot of dad rock a lot of like real like indie lo-fi stuff but not a lot of like really popularized music at all so you just avoid that are you like a purist it just doesn't it's there's i had it's been very rare for me to hear something on the radio and be like oh man that really grooves with me Unlike any of the popular radio stations. Really? There's not just like a four on the floor, like that makes me bop, like let's go to Oh, nothing. you know what? You know what I really hate to admit? Fucking Drake's uh, cell phone. You hotline know, Blink? That, yeah, Hotline <laughs> Blink, that one. Dude, I mean, that's got you shit, dude NPR played that as just like an instrumental bump, and I was like, oh, god damn it, that's really nice. Yeah. But um, it's just not very frequent. That's it fair. just, there's just, it's never grabbed my attention in the same way that like other things have grabbed my attention. Um, yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's something that I'm always looking for that few other things beyond like jazz and classical can provide. Well, and so I, one of the themes of this podcast, obviously one of the purposes I do this is like, I find myself at the intersection of like a lot of identities, right? And like, I, I'm sort of queer, but not queer enough. Like I have a girlfriend, I'm going to probably get married to a woman. I'm going to have kids and all that shit. Like I'm half black, I'm half white. I'm not super religious, but I know a lot of religious people. And like, I, I find myself at the middle of a lot of things and I feel like in doing so and like trying to diversify the people in my life, one of the things that you have to kind of accommodate for is the pop culture of that. And just like, because of that, I've just had to learn, like there's a time and a place for everything. Uh, and if you can like, if you can soak yourself into the setting, then the soundtrack becomes appropriate and you learn to enjoy it where it's like, 
from a very young age, I listened to nothing but jazz, a little bit of classical, a lot of funk, a lot of groove. Uh, at about 11, I'm allowed to listen to popular music by my parents. Uh, my aunt buys me TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool uh, and, like, a boombox. And then from there, like, I go, like, all right, cool. Like, hip-hop's kind of cool because I like the beat structures. I like the samples. I like how they, like, the genre bending of it, right? I get into, like, electronic music later. Forgot this. And all these, like, I can take elements of this I like. But then later in life, I learn, like, there is a place for country music you know what i mean oh like, absolutely and i but i hated country music my whole life because like oh these are three chord pop songs sung in an accent that i don't like why wouldn't i just listen to better pop music that was like my take on country you know what i mean i was like oh no because you don't want to listen to like dancey pop music from england when you're at like a cookout and it's 98 degrees and you're playing cornhole it just doesn't yeah it just doesn't work the same <laughs> right, way like give me some chesney and like I, I whatever like i don't like kenny chesney music but i like cookouts with kenny chesney music on in the background where i drink budweiser and play cornhole right like those no are good absolutely things. those all go together yeah you know you go to uh you know there's something about going to like going shopping at, like, a mall or whatever and hearing pop music that's just far more palatable for the most part unless it's, like, a very stressful, like, overstimulating kind of place where they're also pumping smells out. As soon as you add smell, you I'm out. I gotta, I gotta leave. If you have smells and pop music at the same time, especially if it's loud... I just can't handle but how it. How weird would it be to go into a Hollister and they were playing like Miles Davis? Like, I, oh, dude, I would shop there all day though. Uh, that would be, but that's right. It doesn't fit the vibe. No, like, it I'd doesn't. be like, oh, like that sounds cool. And then I walk in, I'm like, why are they selling like ripped skinny jeans to like Charlie Bird? Like that's fucking bizarre. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> all right, that's fair. Uh, all right, I, I'm a little over time for our first half, but there's a couple of things I do want to get to, uh, and probably one of the questions I should have led with because like, <laughs> this is the gaping hole in our friendship, I guess. Like. Who the hell are you hanging out with in your young adulthood? Like, who oh, are your dude, friends? Like, that's a you don't have to get, like, specific, but, like, what is your friend group like, and, like, how do they influence, like, I don't know, like, how you become adult? Uh, that's, all right, so. And are any of them still friends? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, so, up until, like, right around the end of middle school, I'm hanging out. Yeah, yeah local, just hanging out with a local friend, known for years. Get to middle school, make some friends. Some of them end up going to high school with me. Um, and then they invite me to go see some shows at the art space. And I actually end up meeting a bunch of people from Rockport. And somehow, we all just click. So for, like, really the last... A lot of my life, honestly. Since I was 16, 15, I've been hanging out with these Rockport people. Um, huh. Jake Party, musician. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quinn. And okay. just... Um, those are the people I really hang out with a lot. Um, made a lot of friends in high school. I still see them every year. They've gone all over the place. And I imagine that that is like, you guys are all playing music together. You guys are all forming bands. You guys are like, that's how that friendship is bonding. Right? Exactly. Okay. No, that's correct. Yeah. I, we I, met through I, music. I, yeah, Thank you. That's say, an I, important little uh, cornerstone there. No, I, I, I only know any of those guys literally like through playing music and like working for bands and going to shows. And like, that was, <laughs> it's weird because I, I was part of Gloucester's music scene having never played an instrument. Like, I just went to a whole lot of shows, and I, like, sold merch for some bands, and, like, I worked at Art Space at one point. Uh, and, like, I think every, every like, artistically inclined kid in Gloucester did. Uh, especially the ones who weren't good at art. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'll help you put up insulation and, like, paint walls. Like, dope. <laughs> I can do that. I can lay flooring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely. I guess I have a, a couple of rapid-fire questions I like to wrap up the first half here with. The first is going to be an interesting one to ask you. Uh, what was your first vice or bad habit, and who introduced you to it? Mm. I would say it was kind of a split between driving fast 
<laughs> and um, this is a good segue to Swishers, like Swisher Sweets, like the yep. Cigarellos. Yep. I'm, okay, I mean I can't judge. I smoked Philly blunts at one point, like as Phillies, not as blunts. <laughs> yep. No, I uh, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah. And who introduced you to those? Um, or to driving fast. That's more fun. Uh, actually, it was kind of the same people. Okay. Um, was it the same but, experience. You were smoking Swishers and driving a buck twenty. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Um, okay. it was a friend from middle school who lives in Ipswich and, um, he had a friend who's like a couple years older and I got, I think my first chorus a Honda Accord and like one night they're like, yo, we should just see what this thing can do. And I was like, all right. And I did words it. of every, every man who got it. Like the first two years of your license, you utter the words, we got to see what this can do immediately. Oh, I, I, as soon as you get the keys. Consistent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I still do it, to be totally honest. I'm sure. I do it all the time. I'm sure you just did it uh, this weekend. I, yep, did it this weekend. <laughs> I do it in with most of the cars. Edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. Please do that. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. And so who was that guy? Who was that person? You said the friend from Ipswich? Yeah. Okay. Um, his name is Scott, and he was also um, he's also a bassist, and I used to jam with him all the time. So again, a friend through music. So music really is like shaping like most of your social circle, most of your life at this point. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, like we connected also on like, you know, a friendship level separate from the music, but it just happened that we both like to play music together. That makes sense. Uh, this is one I, I tend to like to ask people, but sometimes it's touchy so or sometimes it's self-evident, so I don't really get around to it a lot, but... Uh, how, like, how'd you decide to go to college? Because, like, I, I, I know I've interviewed a lot of people who didn't go to college, some people who did go to college, some people went to some level of college. Like, everybody, in, especially in our generation where everybody's, like, drowning in debt and figuring out, like, what they want to do next. It's, like, I always am fascinated to get some perspectives on, like, why'd you decide to go or not go? And, like, how did that turn out for you? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, who, I, I guess to keep it on theme here with people, like, who are the people, like, influencing whether or not you should go? Like, are your parents, like, this isn't an option, like, you definitely got to go? Or I don't, it wasn't. It doesn't been, sound like that. No, it wasn't. I wouldn't describe it as that um they were definitely very supportive of it um you know happy to join the you know the college search with me you know make great suggestions whatever um i wanted to be a psychologist at the time i did so like a, a lot of neuroscience in high school i thought that was very fascinating probably should have been a neuroscientist if i'm being <laughs> honest that would have been way more fun fun i don't know lucrative for fucking sure yeah yeah i don't yeah that's something separate. I just really love brain chemistry and like neurology. Um, okay. So what, why did you not do that? I don't, that's a great question. Uh, possibly because I'm, I'm kind of sloppy with figures and like fine detail stuff. I would say that's important with brain surgery. I feel like. Right. And you know, even just, uh, quant quantifying things or whatever. And I've, I recognize that's in myself early. Thank God. Um, <laughs> so I was like, $130,000. Yeah. I was like, all right, soft science. <laughs> <All right. laughs> no, but psychology. Um, so I was like, I want to go to school for psychology. I think I'd like to live. I have this weird thing being more than a couple hours away from the coast makes me uncomfortable or at least unsettled. Mm. So I was like, I don't really want to go to someplace in Vermont. Or, you know, in the center of the country. So. And that's true still now. Yeah. Right. Generally, yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't really move any further. Oh, you're not than, to Denver. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I would freak out. Just something about the smell. But anyway. Um, and Clark University happened to be very close. Clark and Worcester? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was close. Still see my old friends, you know, whatever. 
uh, great psychology program, like world known. I, um, I used to work with a psychologist from there. Yeah, a word. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was it's a cool school. So I went there and immediately discovered I was not prepared for college um, in any sense. Which, you know, well, sometimes... The household eating almonds didn't, didn't prepare you for college, no? No, something about being, like, you know, really taken care of did not prepare me for not... <laughs> for taking care of myself. <laughs> we get dark in this podcast, that's alright, you can cry. Oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, while I was at Clark, I discovered I really loved photography, so I, was a, I studied psychology for, like, a year and a half, left, because my scholarship was in danger, um, and I figured, you know what, like if this isn't what I want to do and my scholarship's already in danger, like I'm not going to bear this, you know, four, five, six year burden if I'm not enjoying it. Um, so cut my losses. And then, uh, I had a, um, a macabre windfall. Um, my aunt died and left myself, my two cousins, her house in Gloucester. Um, so we were like, okay, one of us will buy it obviously. And then the other two will be bought out. So we split the value, and I got my entire school career for photography paid for, wow. along so with a just fresh bicycle, head, motorcycle. Everything yeah. paid for. Like, I, I, that's obviously like the worst of circumstances to have that in. But like, yeah, but I, I, you know, yeah, it's like a weird thing to touch on, but it's just like it then like really sets you up for like. I, something I, I, I obviously I want to be delicate here but like something I think about a lot is just like how do you get the opportunity to chase your dreams and have like a, a floor to fall back on if you fail because people like I, I come from a startup community I've worked in startups for a long time I work in business and like the things you hear all the time is like embrace failure try big things chase up big ideas and like the thing I feel like a lot of people in that culture don't get is like that like that simple act that idea that you're allowed to go chase your dreams is such an act of privilege that you like so many people don't understand. You have like, no idea. If like if you can't move back to your parents' house, right? Like you don't like you can't move like you don't have a, a savings fund that can cover rent for a year. You know what I mean? It's like cool if I go try this new thing and it falls on its face. I need to make money tomorrow, or else I'm living in my car. Yeah, not only <laughs> do you have money to invest, but you also have like a safety net. Right. Like you don't. They, they don't understand. I really I see this a lot. Is there's you reach a certain level of that kind of financial stability or privilege, and they forget about the little things in life that like really take you over and can like, well, like and it, break and it, your it, ankles. And it makes sense, right? Because right. like, it, cool, like you're you're distant from it, and like I understand that, and I have compassion for that. But like, even on like a, a much smaller scale, even like a situation like yours, where it's like, cool, like I had the money to go to college, I decided what I want to go to college for, and I'm two and a half years in, and I fucking hate this. I'm gonna go into a bunch more debt and hate my life for six years for what? Like I don't know if this scholarship is gonna come through or not. What I really want to go do is like figure out some way to like make art a thing, but like I don't have money now to turn around and go to art school too on top of this. And I also like, <laughs> I I think. I have some talent, but I don't really know how to facilitate this because I'm 20. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so it's like a, a weird place to be. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, like, you're on stead. Make the most of this. Uh, and so obviously you go to photography school. How long is photography school first? I don't even know. It was two years. Yeah, it was okay. associates. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, and then the last one is a question I stole from my third favorite podcast, uh, Waste of Time with It's the Real. Uh, it is. Who is the most famous person you went to high school with? Or oh Jesus regret? Christ, yeah. are you ready for this? Sure. I went to high school with Bo Burnham. Oh shit! Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Fuck. Okay, you gotta give me a Bo Burnham story. 
This is for the internet. Uh, you know what? The internet loves Bo Burnham. Ah, fuck. No, this sucks. This is like performance anxiety right here. Okay. No. <laughs> no. Do you want me to give you my Bo Burnham story while, while you think about it? Yeah, okay. by so all means. This, this is my Bo Burnham story. Uh, I've told this to like 100,000 people at some point in my life, but if anyone's listening to this who hasn't heard this story, here you go. Uh, I am at like a house party in Hamilton or Wenham, whatever. Fitting. Uh, and like, whatever, go outside, let me smoke a weed or whatever come back inside and like there's this kid and he like literally like you know kind of like awkward looking kid but like a bunch of girls like listen to him and he's obviously on like some diatribe and as somebody who goes and monologues myself from time to time like i see what's going on here uh and i wander over beer in hand i'm like kind of like listening and i can't really hear what's happening but after like three and a half minutes of speaking he just like waits kind of like for like the reaction and nothing comes and like four girls just like turn and walk away uh, and I'm just like, that was weird. Uh, and <laughs> that was, that was my meeting Bo Burnham. I was oh. just like, and then like, you know, several years later, like somebody who had like knew who was at that same party was like, Hey, do you remember that, like that kid we met at that party or whatever? I was like, yeah. He was like, Oh, this is the, like check him out or whatever. They showed me that YouTube special that turned into a special and like blew up. I was like, Oh fuck. That's the guy. That's the guy. Uh, but yeah, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. So yeah, no, I went to school with him. Um, didn't particularly enjoy going to school with them. Uh, for the record, I didn't mean to slander Bo Burnham. There. I just honestly it was the only time I'd ever like met or interacted with. I haven't even really watched a lot of his comedy. That first special was great. Yeah, the first one was good. I don't know, like his original videos, they were quite amusing. Mm. You know, um, he his. Ugh, I don't want to. I don't want to slander him either. I don't really have any good stories. I didn't really you interact have any good with stories them. Stories to and, not slander him with. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> I don't. I couldn't slander him at, like in any like you know massive fashion. I just there was nothing positive or negative to say about Bo Burnham. Truly, <laughs> he was just kind of obnoxious. And I remember one day in the winter when we were allowed to wear like sweatshirts, he showed up in a sweatshirt that was like remember Babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had some Babe sneakers. Yeah, I actually really love Babe. Um. He showed up in, like, a Bape-style sweatshirt, but it was all dollar bills, but, like, all of the black was gold. Of course. Yeah, and it was very unpleasant, and it was just like, this isn't... That doesn't sound like a Bo fit at all. No, it was very... It did not make any sense, and it hurt my brain to see it, and I was like, I don't... I don't like where this is going, and he's only kind of continued the Bo Burnham that I've known, which is a slight, a relatively condescending person. You know, I'm not going to tell you that he's stupid. Like, the kid's brilliant, mm-hmm. and, like... He was a talented musician, still is. Um, I just I never had a positive per- interpersonal interaction with Bob Burnham. All right, well, on that, that slightly somber note, we're going to take a break here. We'll come back with the second half. I'm one of those people, uh, and we'll be right back after this. of those people.
All right, we are back, and we are going to jump into the second half of the interview here. Uh, is a segment called I Am One of Those People. Uh, the those people of this season are creative people. In Ben's case, he is a photographer, obviously, and we got into a little bit of that in the first half. He's also a musician, uh, and as I mentioned off the top, that's kind of the, the forefront of his creative career currently. Uh, and so I want to dive into that a little bit here. Uh, and so I guess you are one of those musician people. Uh, and I want to start off with, uh, I, I guess we covered this a, a, a bit in the youth, but how did you decide? to become a musician and I guess like I mean that more in this case where you kind of dove into it professionally rather than just hobbyist oh mm. well I'd always I've always enjoyed playing out like getting up on stage playing with a band like that's like very exciting to me so um god how long has it been four or five years ago um a buddy of mine who had like I jammed with a few times mutual friend um, this Jake, um, one day hits me up and he's like, Hey, do you want to do this house band thing at this place out near Worcester? And I was like, yeah, all right, sure. Cool. Whatever. Um, so like for an open mic. <clears throat> and so, um, it was myself and my roommates and, um, this bass is Sal and we just like immediately clicked. And it was a terrible venue. It was so weird. <laughs> it was so bizarre. But, like, the four of us, like, really, really clicked together. And we're like, we could probably do this, you know, more together. Like, we do some cool stuff. Um, and the three of them were in a band at the same time, um, which is super cool, Bear Plane. Um, so, like, we just kind of, like, played together a lot. Um, started writing our own songs. And played a few times and it was like yeah this is like this fits this sounds good right this is something that like i i love doing i love working for um and uh it's just something i want to do so and yeah. so at the same time like your i mean your photography career is going well yes like, it's just like okay i have a, a steady paying gig i'm shooting the exact type of subjects i want to shoot like i'm having a great time doing it and you're just like oh like let me expand the creative career or let me like put the photography on hold. No, it was just expand. Okay, it was just, cool. there was no reason that I couldn't do both at the same time. All right, there no. was no like major crossover. Like you can come home from work and you know, practice, you know, gotcha. take uh, time on the weekends, go practice. And so it sounds like like that group of friends, like that group of musicians becomes kind of like the, the main influence in like your, your musical career. It's like, cool. Like I, I love this group of guys. Like we make dope music together. Like, <laughs> These, these will be my people. Are there, like, other people influencing you guys' sound, or is it just, like, you guys kind of, like, creating, like, the, the amalgamation of all of you guys' kind of musical backgrounds? No, it's 100% the latter. It was just, like, this is... is There was, like, I couldn't tell you who our, like, direct influences are. I mean, like, we have a few songs that are, like, clearly directly influenced by one thing. Or, like, for instance, we have a song called She Asked for Anything But Steely Dan, and it's written in the style of Steely Dan, and it sounds like Steely <laughs> Dan played by our band. But otherwise, it's just like, it's just our sound. And is, it, is this the same band you're with now? Yes. That, okay, and what is the name of the band for everybody out there? That's fair. Um, <laughs> the name is Mo Dosh. There are two A's. Mo Dosh. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get real I... technical, there's an umlaut over the second A, but that won't affect any searches. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I guess I fucked up by asking the, the nickname question in the first half, so I'll, I'll ask again here about the band name. What the fuck does Mo Josh <laughs> Um, Because uh, I gotta tell you, from a branding perspective, tough Terrible. Luck, no, it's really dumb. I, like, I tell people about <laughs> your music all the time, they're like, what's it called? I'm like, 
Modash, Modash, Mudash, Mudash, something like that. Like, I, I can send you a link, and then I try to look you up online, and it's Can't like, find it. it well, there's another Modash, and so I always think it's that one somewhere. Uh, like a M-O-D-A-S-H. Oh, like yeah, not, no, I've seen that. Yeah, and so, like, it's just like, yeah, it's tough look. So, how did you guys sell <laughs> that? Yeah, no, we fought that for a long time. Um... We would. Practice. I love the name. It sounds beautiful. It looks nice on paper. It's just like tough to find. No, it's very branding wise. From a branding perspective, you're absolutely right. It's bad. Um, but in terms of this, like being reflective of who we are, um, when we would practice at one of the old apartments, um, they had a very large projector television, or just like a large television, and we would play different television shows on mute. I don't know why. It was just something we did, and it was you know it was great. Um, and then, like, when we got tired, we just, like, hang out and watch TV till we got our steam back and we'd go play some more. But we were watching Adventure Time, and there was one particular episode where the King of Ooh and uh, Toronto were doing something. And at one point, Toronto is like, Mo Stickers means Mo Dosh. <laughs> and we're like, Mo Dosh, huh? Modash. Modash. How would we spell that? Can we spell it in a stupid way? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Two A's. Oh, the second A. Let's put something dumb on that. Oh, well, you gotta you gotta affect the pronunciation. It's dosh. It's yeah, not dash. It's just a long dosh. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Get the, the deep sound. Right. Dosh. Yeah. <laughs> Two A's. The second one's got an umlaut, which signifies a double tone. But I I'm curious. Is there? You mentioned you guys are like, this is just on in the background, like constant, like random shows. Or is it kind of similar to the Steely Dan experience where it's just like, hey, we're going to write a, a song of like what we kind of feel like should be happening in the background right now? No. Oh, I just, we I, should do that, though. Like cool we would enjoy that. Experiment. Occasionally it would line up, which would be pretty cool. Watched, watched a lot of Bob Ross, to be honest. So there wasn't a lot of like okay. narrative possibility. I, yeah, that's, I, I do not. I, you guys are not a Bob Ross vibe. I don't feel like uh, we, we so explain. Yeah, I guess explain for the audience like what kind of music is it, and like how did you, like you said, it's an amalgamation of like the type of music you guys all play. But like, I guess what are their musical backgrounds and like how's that how's that sound all together? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's such a hard question. <laughs> My bad. Um, no, it's okay. It's you know, it's just it, it is what it is. Um, so. <sighs> Myself, there's a lot of jazz. Um, there was um, a lot of like metal. Like I enjoyed, I love, you know, like really it was really just Metallica and like a few like kind of thrash punk bands. Okay. Please don't hold me to any definitions. I don't. I hate. I hate genre <laughs> definitions. Like I'm not gonna play that game. But whatever. But uh, and then like a lot of Zappa, Steely Dan. Um, John was in a like serious like metal band uh, for a while called Fist Hammer. That, just, that sounds metal as fuck. Yeah, dude, they were fucking awesome. Um, fist hammer, not hammer fist. No, fist hammer. Um, we're really going to talk to you guys about branding. Uh, <laughs> I know. Um, so Al is like a multi, like he's a brilliant multi-instrumentalist. Like fucking brilliant. Um, and I'm, he loves smooth jazz, George Bench and stuff like that. I mean, like his tastes are broad. Like everything, he just knows. So that all comes together kind of nicely. Yeah, it's like thrash jazz. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, that's like a pretty good way to put it. To be totally honest, it's yeah, no, like I, that, I I hadn't thought of it that way until we were having this conversation. But that's that's how I described you guys as sound probably. That would be that would that's probably the most fitting. Yeah, I mean, it's just fucking all over the place. We got a horn, we got a guitar, we got a bass, we got drums, and like a synth occasionally. And we love odd time signatures and weird progressions, but it's really like we're not trying to meet any sort of like genre you know requisites so you mentioned in the first half about like 
it, I guess your musical purity uh, in like your exposure as like a young person uh, and how that kind of shaped you away from popular music. Is that like, is I guess, is that intentional in you guys' sound where it's like, we don't really want to sound like anything else? <laughs> is that kind of the point? It's like, there, because there isn't like, like you said, we sh- I, I struggle for words to describe your music because it's like, it's great. I enjoy it. And then people are like, well, what's it sound like? I'm like, it's kind of like fucking and like, was well, it like dance music? I'm like, not exactly, but like kind of, it's like if you wanted to dance while you were moshing, but better dancing than skanking out of Skasha. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's somewhere in between there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what I mean. It's a hard thing to define. Yeah, it's so, very like, hard to describe. I, I, I guess it's like, is that the point? Is it, is it supposed to be like out there or is that just kind of you guys is like, that's feel? just what we want. We just, we're just ma- like, it, the, the, the driving force is like, we're making the music that we want to make. Yeah, it's not, like, to do anything. It's not supposed to be, like, it's not supposed to be weird. It's just, like, we want to do cool, weird stuff with, you know, like, very specific set of instruments. Like, there are certain limitations set by having, like, a saxophone and one guitar and a bass and, like, drums and, like, I can play keys and I can play the saxophone and I can play the keys and the saxophone in a very more limited sense Mm. at the same time. (laughs) Um, And you can do a lot with, you know, loopers and stuff, but, like, you know, we still have... yeah. Yeah, exactly, but, like, and delays. I love my delays. Um, and, you know, like, pitch pitch um, pedals and stuff. Like, I have one that will do an octave up, octave down, but, like, 12 steps in each direction, so you can get real weird with it, but, like, you're still presented with this limitation. Like, you have one, one like, chordal, like, mid-tone instrument, and you have the bass, which can be chordal, and you have the drums, and then you have this, you know, monophonic instrument. So we just like to do weird... <laughs> we're just doing weird stuff. I... I've often heard a lot of creative people remark on this, and I've certainly found this true myself, is, like, when you have too much freedom, it's hard to create. When you have, like, set limits, whatever the limits are, they can be very small. You can, you know, you can be drawing, and you can limit yourself to just one type of pencil in a certain amount of space or whatever, and, like, figure out, like, I only, I'm only going to use triangles and see what I do with this. You know what I mean? And, like, it can be that minimizing, or it can be as, like, vague as, like, well, we only have these instruments. You know what I mean? Like, we, we have this amount of people who can play this amount of things. Like, what can we make this sound like that we like the sound of? Yeah. Uh, and I think in doing that, like, you really discover some of, like, the most creative, best art of any sort, but certainly anything performative. No, 100, that's it. Like, that's it. Like, we've, like, we have some, like, really cool songs that, like, part of it is, like, some of these songs are things that I've always wanted to hear and had never, like, dreamt of. But, like, you hear it and you're like, this is something I've been craving. Um, I mean, that, I, to me, that was, like, one of the best experiences you can have as a consumer of art in general. Yeah. No, it's, it's like coming upon something where you're like, I didn't know I wanted this, but like, and especially as I get older, often when I come across something and it's like, oh, this is what I was looking for. It's, it's, this is what isn't what I was looking for. Not like, eh, this, maybe I'll give this a shot. Like the older you get, the less you want to try new things. So when you like leave something on in the background and you're like pleasantly surprised and you're like, oh shit, like who is this? I love that moment. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you gig solo at all? No. I didn't think so. Okay. No. Um, kind of hard to do as a saxophone player, I feel like. I, I've thought about it. I would love to get a loop pedal and start doing my own thing because, like, I, I would love, like, that would be super fun. And, like, I have tools that would make it, you know, I could do a lot with that, and I should. And there's no... <laughs> I mean, you also have a full-time job and a f- full-time band. <laughs> That's true. I ask everybody this question uh, as part of my format here uh, of the interview. Uh... But uh, I, I think the fun part about doing this show is getting people at kind of different moments of success or, like, trajectory of their careers. Uh, and so, like, you're in a weird place where it's, like, you've... 
you're a professional, you are doing this. And there's definitely like, what was your moment where you realized like, I, I am a creative professional. Like that's what I do for a living is I make like art. Uh, because like, I feel like that's a weird moment for whatever you do. Whether like I'm a plumber now or I'm a whatever, but like as an artist, it's like, you're kind of going on this ledge and it's like, so what do you do exactly? And you're like, well, I sell myself and my hobbies. Like I, I sell small pieces of my soul that I've created into beautiful things and hope that people like it for like small amounts of money enough to like get me by. And it's like getting from there to like whatever amount of fame or success anyone achieves if you're fucking Michael Jackson level or you're like gigging in your hometown or whatever like the in-betweens are. But it's like, when did you know you were like, I, okay, I, I made it to some point? Like what was that moment where you're like, okay, like it, was it like cashing your first paycheck as a photographer? Was it like the first time you paid like a paid gig? Was it like the first tour you went on? Like how's, was the, the moment you were like, okay, like nah, I do this for real now. So definitely was, um, I think there were like two moments. The first one was when the, uh, the website for the Aston dealership I work for, um, was the inventory page. It was, all my photographs and I was like <laughs> happy with all of them. They were like all consistent and looked all exactly the same. That was super cool. And then the second part of that would be when the, Oh God, what was, um, one of the, like it was a car and driver. I think they did like a collection. They're like five, like driver's cars that you need to get your hands on. And like my picture was the like headliner. Like yeah. It was, yeah. Wow. That's sick. Yeah. I was like, Oh cool. I did it. And it looked great. Like it was badass. And I was like, wow. So I'm, um, I, I do want to get back into the music, but I, I was curious about that one note is like, I obviously like, you're a very creative guy. You're a very cerebral guy. Like you, you do other creative things outside of photography. Uh, but I know you went to school for, and obviously now do like commercial art. Like how, like what, what's your, is that like, I love commercial art. Like my favorite art is pop art and advertisements. And like, I, I think that done well is like the most beautiful thing in the world. Like you understand society to a point that like you can evoke the emotions that you're trying to pinpoint a certain demographic of people. Like that is amazing to me. <laughs> and I think that's the coolest thing in the world to like have a hand in the creative process of when it's used the right way, obviously. Uh, and so like, is there any part of you who's like, I'm selling out a little bit or like, do you feel like pretty good about being like a commercial artist? No, I'm actually pretty happy with it. <laughs> I'm totally fine. Is that with like it. what you aspired to? I guess photography is a weird thing in that sense that like there's a commercial element to it, right? Like that's pretty accepted that like the, the point is to get paid. Whereas like there isn't like, say as like a songwriter or, perform, or like a musician where it's like, as a, for the love of the game kind of aspect to it. I, you know, I wouldn't say that because like, no, I just mean like societally. Like, oh, that, oh, in terms of it's like, oh, you should be just gigging for fun, right? Like, uh, uh, how big of an artist are you exactly? Like, do you have an okay. album out? You know what I mean? Where like yeah. nobody asks a photographer, like, you know, who who's the biggest person you shot? You know what I mean? It's like, no, I'm a professional photographer, and it's like, as long as you're not asking me like a crazy rate, like if somebody comes, I'm, you know, I shoot photos for eleven, it's fifty bucks now. I'm like, all right, cool, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. You know what I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's it's like a little bit different uh, with the visual art. It is, it's, or even like a painter, right? Like nobody's buying a painter for uh, painting for more than like a hundred dollars from somebody they've never met you know, or never heard of. Right, and unless so, it's you know one of those like you know few stars. Well, it, but that's what I mean. So like, there, there's a moment where you eclipse that, right? And you're like, oh, that's that's a professional. Like that, that guy does this. And yeah, so, like, they're professional. They're they've gone beyond selling their artistry yeah. 
to somebody else to utilize and gone directly to like they're, they're cutting out the middleman exactly but and i guess that's what i mean like it's kind of accepted in photography that the middleman is going to be a thing right like that's how photographers get paid as middlemen like photographers don't like take their photos usually and like publish them and then people buy like prints or go to galleries and like buy their works it's like you sell photos to publications that publish them places and like that's kind of a gig like whether it's car and driver and like commercial things or whether that's like portrait art for like a documentary of like a celebrity or like you're doing you know nature stuff over with national geographic like those are all like beautiful works of art but they also like nobody's going to see them unless like you get paid by some distribution service. not not always all right yeah no there's definitely Maybe I, i'm uncultured <laughs> <laughs> i didn't say that <laughs> no i did I, I, I admit my ignorance is on this podcast no that's fair i appreciate that it's nice when people are humbled to- and I can admit that they don't know things. That drives me nuts. Dude, I don't know anything. I, that is, like, the entire point of this podcast to me. It's just, like, so many... There's so many successful, cool, interesting people out in the world. And just, like, the only way you're going to know anything is if you just sit down and shut up and listen to those people. I'm working on, like, the shutting up part, but, like, I, I sit down a lot. You listen. You absolutely <laughs> I, I, listen. I, I, listen for, I listen for most of it. Um, <laughs> but, no, there's absolutely, like, there's... Since photography, its inception, like, there's absolutely been, like, artists who just, like, go out and make art. And sell just their art, like Ansel Adams, Adams. Annie Leibovitz, um, Man Ray. Like I'm just Ouija. Well, Ouija was more of a talk. Anyway, but But even Ansel Adams has published a lot of things in publications before. Right? No, and they absolutely right. Ansel Adams was right, and they. But there have definitely been people who have reached the point where their work, their work is so well known through publications and other things that they also have the capability to just produce their work. I mean, and even to the point where, like, some of them have just produced their work. Right. Um, is that is that something you want to do eventually? Honestly, no. No. Like, the work I do for myself that, like, I'm really happy with, like, I love my, my car work, and, like, when I can kind of, like, relax enough to then not, not feel pressed. Yeah. Like, if I felt like I had two full days with a car, and they're like, this is a very expensive car, and, like, we need you to really, like, take care and, like, make this thing, like, real sexy. <laughs> I'd be like, Cool. You've given me time. Don't bother me. <laughs> Please. Let me sit with it. Yeah, let me just do this. Um, then I would probably, you know, like, flex a little bit and, like, you know, use some more of my capacity and my knowledge and, like, test myself. Um, but because it's been so pressed, I really just like to focus on landscape photography. Hmm. Um, but I don't care if anybody sees that. <laughs> I mean it's beautiful I like it I appreciate that I appreciate that very much and like I love that people like it um, but it's really just like it's just something that I just want to do that's yeah. awesome yeah I I'm curious because obviously you took a lot of time off from music pursuing photography and got very good at photography like you our friendship has taught me more about photography than probably anything else in my life uh, and so I'm, I'm curious like how how deep is your process on music as like You've, how long have you been back in music now? About four or five years? Four or five years. Okay. And so, like, obviously you spent four or five years before that being a professional photographer and then continuing to hone those skills for, you know, ten or so years now. Do you have as, like, steady a process? Like you said, like, you could take a car, give me two days, I know exactly what I want to do, and, like, this is going to be a beautiful work of art when we're done if I'm given, like, the right time and the right resources. Do you feel the same way about music where it's, like, if I have the right time and the right resources and the right studio and the right, you know, producers or collaborators or whatever, like, I, I can go in there in a set amount of time and make a work of art not in the same capacity i think i'm because it's uh, it's been so like stop start i'm mostly rusty 
so my learning curve is much longer, unfortunately. Um, if I had, you know, like maybe a week to really like uninterrupted, just really focus and like perfect it, I would feel very comfortable to go, be able to go in there. But you could get back in like a week, though, that quickly. Yeah, if I had like a, you wow. know, like a vacation. Yo, that, yeah, but that's, yeah, right, we yeah. fly you to like some island where it's like you, a studio, a beach, and then like a, a treadmill. Like yeah, <laughs> I would feel comfortable with that. Yeah. yeah, if I could just like eat and breathe it. Like when I was doing photography at photography school, I like ate and breathed and existed just like you go to school with just like the pe- with just people who are learning the same thing you are and are excited about it. It's an entirely different experience than going to school with people who are like, they're off learning music and you're like, well, that sounds kind of cool. And like you got friends who are doing like, Communication is like, well, that's a strangely actually kind of interesting. I like this. And then, like, chemistry and rocketry and shit. And you're like, oh, man, there's a lot of other things I could learn. So I, I, I've had that conversation with a lot of people. And I couldn't agree more, especially somebody who not only did I go to, like, a general school that had, like, a b- bunch of programs. I went to a state school or whatever. But I also took communications as my major. And, like, that's a very generalist degree, right? So, like, your whole time in school where, like... All of my specialist friends who, you know, either went to an art school or maybe they went to, you know, a trade school or something and got, like, all this expertise and this hands-on learning and, like, this deep knowledge. It's, like, I just had, like, a very wide knowledge. And, like, that serves me great now as, like, a broadcaster. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, to, absolutely. I can sit down with hundreds of types of people and, like, have, like, relatively informed conversations and keep them interested and engaged and hopefully entertain some people. But, like, I like it's not like I have, like, I, I can't go shoot like a beautiful Ashton Martin and make it look any like I can maybe get you a good Instagram photo after like four hours. You know what I mean? Like I'm shit with a camera. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I can't draw you a picture. I can't like, I can't tell you about the stock market. Like I don't have like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I, on some hand, like obviously I've had to believe in like the idea of gener- like being a generalist. But as I look at like the way we structure society now, I feel like specialists are like the most high in demand and the you know most well taken care of and the people who have all the leverage. Uh, and I mean like, God forbid, like you, you know, something happens with your current gig or whatever. It's like, it, I don't think it would be hard for you to go get a gig shooting Lexuses somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure that's not like a hard gig at this point. No. And I mean, especially at this point where like I have, I have so much like extra experience doing everything else at that place. <laughs> let me, uh, let me ask you this. Cause I, I, uh, as a musician and as a photographer, you're a good person to ask, like, how do you like recognize other people? people like you like how do you do you know like other people like other photographers musicians can you like spot them in a room are there like people you follow and like in the scene where you're just like oh those are like i'm, I'm looking for those people like when i'm out and about or i'm like following their work like low-key like how do you how do you like look for other people like you how do you like network for i guess lack of a better term definitely social media okay. like facebook has been really like honestly over the last year like we were really building steam as a band um like coming up into may um, like really building some great steam. And in the meantime, I had been on a few different like Facebook groups that were dedicated to music that was like tangentially related to us, like mostly jazz and then math rock. Mm. Um, and math you, rock? um, strange time signatures. Um, God, I don't think I can. Oh, like the, the rock for math nerds. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're playing like 11 sixes. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. Okay. No, like literally it's, it's like, it's like math. It's like rock for like jazz math nerds. <laughs> Okay. It's it's fun as fuck. I love it. I love it. I mean, it it's like great, yeah. it's like my one of my n- newest favorite musics. But if you grew up on jazz, but you want to play rock music. That's, what that's you yeah. I mean, like honestly. Okay. Um, but like you, you recognize the people who are out there, who are being positive, open, supportive. Like you know, there's like a lot of shit posting, and like that's all fun. <laughs> and like you can still recognize good people by like how they treat other people. And so, 
you go out there and you know you see what they put out and like honestly everybody I've interacted with who I've and I've had in positive interactions with all of these people everyone I've reached out to and they're all of their music is awesome and like I follow all of these people at this point like I it's one of the things I lament a little bit about the the internet we grew up on like the MySpace era internet if you will where it's like I, I it, there's just like a wholesomeness to it like hey I really like this band I'm gonna go find them on MySpace and I'm gonna send them a message and like the bassist would just send you a message back and then they'd be like hey we're gonna be in your town like do you wanna like go get french fries <laughs> like, yeah that was like a thing yeah uh, it was a cool thing and I feel like it went out of vogue for a lot of good reasons uh, but also in a weird way sort of like coming back like the wholesome internet is like one of my favorite corners of the internet is like the Pete Buttigieg internet I was telling you before and like one of my favorite part about just like his little supporter clan on the internet is you're just like really wholesome and sweet and like kind and like he published like rules of the road for them to follow online and like be kind and courteous to each other and even when having hard conversations like be respectful while using these phrases and it's like it's super corny but at the same time it's just like it's this little slice of like nicety where it's like oh hey like I, I don't have to be, like, my witty, like, douchey mass whole self right now. Like, I can just be, like, vulnerable and corny and, like, share, like, my ideas and my thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and that's, like, I, I miss that part of the internet. Uh, it's weird that you found that, I guess, through, like, promoting, essentially. <laughs> like, through marketing. I guess I'm doing the same thing. Like, uh, uh, as I, like, grow the following, like, it's a lot of cool people I meet who, like, follow my content or follow my design work or follow the podcast. Uh, and it's, like, I... I don't know, like, what else we have in common, really, except that, like, there's this whole slice of the internet that we both occupy, but I think that's more important now than it's been a long time. It, it, it is. It's, it's so weird having the internet as this, like, massive facet of our lives. It's so bizarre. Because I it's mean, also the worst thing ever. It's terrible. No, honestly, <laughs> it's super bad, and it's great. Like, it is such a double-edged sword. It's, it's maddening. I mean, like, honestly, it is so maddening how lost and entangled you can get in this world, and how positive and, like, powerful it can be. Like, we've booked gigs. Like, we had, like, a bunch of cool stuff set up because of Facebook. Like, we've played multiple gigs with this band. Um, great band from Rhode <laughs> Island. I wish I could remember the name. I'm sorry, boys. You guys are great. Um, but, like, multiple shows with those guys. And, like, it's been super positive. I I know you met your girlfriend on the internet as well. Did also you meet her, true. like, promoting shows? No. Okay. No, I met her in a Twin Peaks group. <laughs> Oh, that is very fitting. If if you listen to Mo Dash's music, you would put that in the context very easily. I feel yeah, like. yeah. No, that's that is that's a good parallel. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it can be great. Like the internet can be super great, and it's it's just super terrifying at the same time. Uh, let me. I I guess. Weird backhanded question. Uh, set you up with a nice question for the the harder one. I guess like. How do you feel about people who, like, aren't part of those groups? Because, like, regardless who those groups are, I feel like there's a little bit of, obviously, there's pride in what you do, right? There's pride amongst photographers and people who are musicians and people who love cars and, like, whatever your identities are. Like, there's, like, pride amongst one another. And, like, obviously, that can be shitty when it's, like, pride in your white nationalism or, like, pride in that makes you believe that, like, other people are invalid, right? And, like, I think that's taken to the extreme. Uh, but also, I think there's a little it's okay to have a little bit of pride if you, I, I guess, how do you view the people who don't understand what you do? Like, you know, like photography, whatever people are like, cool. You point a camera at things and take pictures and they're like, Oh, I do that all the time. I have an Instagram account. I'm sure you just want to like punch those people in the face, but like also at a certain level of professionalism, like you get used to that. Like, what are your views on like, what do you want people to understand about like what you do? 
I guess is the best way to phrase that. So oh, that was a long-winded question. Oh, that is, that is a backhanded question, you bastard. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. That's what I do here, man. I'm a professional. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're just talking. <laughs> exactly. Communications no. degree, baby. Oh, man. Um, honestly, I don't know. I don't... It would be it would be kind of wrong of me to say that I don't care. Like it is frustrating when people are like, "Oh, you're a photographer." You know, honestly, I've never encountered that. To be honest, I never had anyone be like, "Oh, I point my camera and stuff all the time." Oh, all right. Um, I feel I also honestly, I just talking to a lot of creative people. I find a lot of people just like scoff at creative jobs as like jobs. You know, what I mean, it's like, "Well, when are you gonna go get a real job?" It's pretty much like th- there's a version of that for every creative career, whether you know you're a designer, photographer, illustrator, whatever. Yeah, I've never experienced that. It might be because photography has always been like some facet of my total workload. Yeah. So, like, when I was working at the liquor store, like, I would work, you know, the liquor store part-time, the photography part-time. So it was never just like, oh, you're a photographer. Right. Um, and <laughs> even like, now, no, I'm not like... Alcoholic. Right. Yeah, oh, <laughs> photographer, oh, musician. Um, so I think that's probably why I've never encountered that to the same extreme that, like, you know, people were like, yes, I am, like, a painter <laughs> would get. Fair. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't... There's no, Personally, like, you went no. to art school kind of thing. No. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Like, I have an associate's degree, and people are like, oh, word. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I also did um, advertising photography. Right. So, like, I have practical applications beyond the editorial side of the, you know, like, the major I took, but, like... That makes sense. Yeah, no, I've never experienced that. So, this is, I, I, like I said, I think this is one of the weird ways, and, like, being a photographer is different from a lot of other creative careers. Uh, let me ask you, I guess, pivoting back to music, the... The, the transitional here to the, the faster paced end of this interview, uh, I always ask people is what are the, what's just like your favorite part of being a musician? Like having that be like part of your, like your real full identity now. Cause it's like, Hey, this is this cool thing I did as a kid. Then it was like a hobby, maybe like throughout college and like kind of put it aside for a bit and like, no, as a fully formed adult, like I do this, I get paid for this. This is like part of my identity now. Like what's your favorite part of that? Oh, the balance, this balance of like, mastering uh, a difficult melody and then also being able to improvise over like the sections where I meant to improvise but like doing that but with a group of other people who are also doing that and like thrilling in that experience of like really nailing this like difficult strange very like like everything we play is like written it's not like we don't we would like to do covers and we'll do covers and that's cool. But like, this is like our music and it's like, borderline math rock. right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's meant to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, it's meant to like f- for another musician to hear it and be like, I'm not sure I could play that. Or yeah. Or just be like, wow, that's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. Like that's out there. Yeah. But, that's like, like cool that's a, there. that's a re- I wouldn't have put anything together like that. That sounds pretty weird. I, uh, I, I've listened to a couple of podcast interviews with and read a book by, uh, quest love, which if you know me at all, that's a, a pretty large commitment for me to any one person's influence. Uh, but quest love, uh, spoke, I, I wish I could remember who it was. I think it was D'Angelo. You familiar with D'Angelo? R&B singer? Maybe. Uh, but uh, essentially, as the story goes, uh, like, he'd turned him down to, like, work on some project or whatever. Like, D'Angelo reached out to him. He's like, nah, nah, I'm good. Uh, and then, like, he heard the project, and it's, like, one of his five favorite albums of all time, which said a lot for Questlove's, like, musical knowledge and catalog. Uh, and then Duke came to a show that he was playing, and they had, like, 
he just understood his musical identity to a point where, like, he was playing, like, these weird, like, fills and ticks and offbeat, like, kind of solos, and it was, like, like, influenced by all these, like, musicians from the area that D'Angelo was from and different, like, people that, like, he'd spoken about in interviews being influenced by and had talked about, like, being influenced in his creative work, and he's just, like, working all this into, like, a root set. You know what I mean? He's just, like, doing this, like, from, like, top of the head. And, like, he and D'Angelo, like, lock eyes, and he's like, oh, are you doing what I think you're doing? And he kind of gets in the head nod. And it's, like, 25 minutes of him and Questlove having just, like, a sonic, like, conversation. Uh, and it's just, like, what a, like, oh, man, what a, mm-hmm. like, vibe. <laughs> For lack of a better no. term, like, what a vibe. No, like, you, what so a you understand. Moment. Yeah, no, that's the thing, is, like, doing that with people who, like, get it and, like, we can think without communicating and communicate without, like, having even, like, frankly, like, um, for, except for some of the harder songs, like, we don't look at each other. Like, mm. it's it's kind of a, st- unfortunately, static performance, honestly. <laughs> Unless I've had a few beers and I'll dance during some songs, but, like, it's pretty static because, like, we're kind of focusing kind of hard. Yeah, like, there's <laughs> a lot to hit here. But, like... Well, and that's what blows me away by people on, like, Quest Love's level, right? Because it's just like, oh, no, you're doing this performatively. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, you're he's just, like... amazingly highly technical music in, like, 42 different genres, like, at will. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, and this is easy to you now. Actually, you know what? I think John dances, Al obviously is moving. I'm static. Oh, that's, you know what? That's a good clarification. We'll clear it for them. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the last question I want to ask, kind of following the back of that, is... Who have you met being a musician that's, like, changed your life, for the better or for worse? Because <laughs> mm. it sounds like we, we were mentioned there, like, a lot of the fun of this, a lot of the love of this is, like, that aspect of communication, that aspect of, like, bonding and overcoming the challenge of learning this song or performing this live. You know what I mean? And I would imagine, obviously, like, the people involved in that are pretty attached to your, to your memory and your heart. Definitely the band themselves. Yeah. Like, that's that's really important. Like, that was super awesome just to, like, meet two other people I'd never played with in my life and just, like, immediately have this connection where, like, we knew what we were doing. Like, we knew the tempo changes. We knew, like, where these drops were going to be. Like, it just clicked. Like, that's huge. Like, that kind of, like, rekindled my love for playing out. I was, like, right. Like, there are people you're just going to, like, click with and it's going to be amazing. Um... Those going to be the groomsmen at your wedding? I don't know about that. <laughs> That's when you're supposed to use the safe word and back out of the tough question. You leaned right into that. I'm leaving it in. I did. I ran right into it. None of you motherfuckers are going to be said, I could have said haddock. I would have all actually probably said halibut because that was my first choice. And I was like, don't say halibut. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'll take that. Is there, I guess, a, on a lighter note, like, where do you see you, you guys' friendship, like, later in life? Like, you. Uh, <laughs> What's the what's the trajectory of the band? Like, where do you guys see yourself going? I'd love to keep playing. Just, you know, don't, I, don't, I don't think any of us are like, oh, man, we're going to tour the world and, like, <laughs> become these superstars. Like, I gotta just, I think we all have an understanding that, like, I don't think our reach will ever be that kind of powerful. But, like, to be able to tour places and, like, have other people be like, yeah, come play with us. Like, like, tour, like, a, like a New England tour, an East Coast oh, tour yeah, or something? Yeah, we, we did. We went down to Delaware last year and again this year to play this like awesome brewery um couple small festivals stuff yeah, like that stuff like that yeah and, like that'd be awesome like go to japan because they love crazy shit like <laughs> they still have jazz shows like how cool is that uh, and great sushi right and fantastic food uh, yeah uh, yeah i shouldn't limit that to sushi apparently it's the best all steak of in the world, the world best of everything in the world all the food <laughs> 
But um, yeah, I like I think we'd just like to keep playing and like making more songs. I mean, like we have a huge list of song names that need to be filled up, so we have a long road ahead of us, and we keep coming up with song names. So. All right. Well, we're gonna end the interview here and come back with my favorite segment of the podcast, Random People. Uh, I think this might actually help you generate some song titles, so we'll see how this works. Fantastic. Awesome. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Who the fuck are these people? Shut up. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Internet. Are you ready? It's time for random people. We are back and we are going to play my favorite game in all of the world, my favorite segment on this podcast. It is called Random People. The way this works is I have a list of 100 types of people. The reason for this is because we are a show about identity. We try to have everybody represented. However, we're obviously not going to be able to interview every person in the entire world from every different type of identity. So I have a list of some celebrities, some proper nouns, some types of people, some races, some religions, some occupations, all sorts of different types of identities. Uh, We change the list every once in a while. We also rotate the list every time. if you're listening at home and you're trying to guess what number is what, like, don't try and do that if you come on the show in the future. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Ben is going to pick three numbers, one through a hundred. I'm going to tell him the three people who correlate with those three numbers. And then he's going to tell me the first three things that pop into his head about those people. Uh, Ben, what are your three numbers? 42, 19, and 84. Those are very random. Do they hold any special correlation? Just 42. What is 42? Uh, i got to ask you questions here while I look this up on the list. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the answer to the life universe and everything. Oh, a hitchhiker. Okay. Yeah. I got you. This yep. makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, let's see what we have. Oh, th- these will be fun ones. I, I, so I, I'm not going to lie to you. Every episode I've done of these, right? At least one of the three selections, no matter what the number is, no matter how many times I randomize the list, are perfect for the person who selected this. So I'm, I'm glad we're honoring that tradition. I'm going to put a fake 30 seconds on the clock because I know you're fading on me. We've had a long interview here, but we're going to try and keep these short because that's the idea of this. Uh, do you want to start at 42, 19, or 84? Uh, let's do it in ascending order. All right. So number 19, 30 seconds roughly on the clock. Baseball players? That's not the one I said was going to be perfect for you, don't worry. That's okay. Um, what are your first three outdated. thoughts on baseball players? Outdated, okay. Um, fine, I guess. <laughs> fine, <laughs> Fine, I guess. you know, like, it's fine. And uh, I don't care about baseball players at all. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I... I get one follow-up on each of these, so I'll come back to that. Uh, we're going to scroll down to 42. Uh, the <laughs> I want to know, again, can you repeat, what was your reason for picking 42? Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Number 42 is Bernie Sanders. Oh. <laughs> the answer to everything in the universe. <laughs> Coconut? Coconut, okay. Um, Vermonter? Okay. And, 
For some reason, I'm thinking about sailboats. Sail. Okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, interesting. I'll take it. All right. And I'm glad we ended with the, the last one because I think this one is perfect for you. Give me your first three thoughts on potheads. Lazy. <laughs> okay. Uh, being self-referential here. Um, it's ostr- not ostracized, demonized, I guess. Okay. Um, oh, Jesus. I can just smell roaches. Roaches. <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the way this works, I get one follow-up question on each of these. I will go in... Uh, yeah, I'll go in order we went in. Uh, baseball players, uh, you seem to feel like they're outdated, like they used to be cool, and it was awesome. Were you, like, a Sox fan growing up? Like, I feel like growing up in New England, Massachusetts, like, everybody's a Sox fan. It's nope. as close as we get to a religion. Mean, but, like, you were a hippie and an art kid. Yeah, I but mean, I, like, like... know you from sports, so Yeah, you know what? I, I, I enjoy playoff season for okay. every sport that's fair the rest of the season i don't care that's like, about where I'm i root now. for the Sox, but it's not like i'm a Sox fan yeah. it's like when it's you know when they're in the playoffs i'm like oh cool i'll watch the Sox game this is exciting cool that's my team and like i'm a little more tuned in on like maybe like hockey or football and like basketball I usually follow the playoffs and that's about it like i'm good yeah. i'll probably watch more soccer than anything now because oh, like shit. i like international competition uh secondly bernie sanders <laughs> Sailboats, I'm just gonna leave alone. Vermont is like obviously a thing that's easy enough. Uh, just uh, I don't know. Sometimes I'm a little speechless in this part of the show where I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to follow up with based on some of these thoughts. <laughs> like, why does coconut come to mind just immediately? Like you shot that right out. Like your first word out of your mouth was immediately. Like, uh, Bernie Sanders, deep sigh, coconut. Yeah, no, because he looks like a coconut. Like his head. It, yeah, the, and his the hair. hair shape. Okay. Yeah, like if a coconut had long white hair and it was like. At the side of his head, you know? Just he so we're like clear, a you're not implying that you want to split open his head and drink the insides. No, yes. that, no. Okay. It would be all grisly. That would be terrible. <laughs> Gross. Political Twitter's going to kill me for this episode, but I'm okay <laughs> with it. Uh, and lastly, potheads, uh, an identity that I'm sure we've both been called at some point in our lives. Yeah. Uh, lazy, demonized, and roaches. We're going to, like, if you don't smoke weed, I'm sure you don't know what a roach is, so we'll leave that alone. Why do you... I guess, why do you feel like potheads are demonized if you also feel like they're lazy? <laughs> like, I feel like the, the demonization of potheads is, hey, like, you're lazy I've, and demotivated. And it's not inaccurate. Like, no. if you smoke too much weed, you'll be, like, I smoke weed. I smoke weed at a pace that, like, allows me to do work during the times that I'm not smoking weed and I smoke weed later in my day when I don't have things to do. Uh, and even that's probably a little, like, destructive to other, t- like, time I could use more productively. Uh, so, I, on some level, I guess I'm being lazy there. I... I consider it self-care and it keeps me balanced and keeps my mental health in check um, self-care yeah, 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 yeah. i mean it's necessary uh, <laughs> but like why do you feel like they're demonized for the one like the same thing is like top of mind for you when you hear the dirt all right so that's fair um because coming from a pothead like you can be a lazy pothead and that's somebody that i would personally call a pothead where like they just sit around and get stoned and don't accomplish okay. anything and like that's a pothead so but there's when a difference you, between a pothead and a pot smoker, if you will. Right. Okay. But if you have somebody who's on the outside being like, oh, you, you smoke weed. Oh, you smoke weed every day. You're a pothead. That's like, yeah, but do you have a beer every day? Are you an alcoholic? Get, well, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, 
I'd heard of people like having a drink every day, like coming home from work, or whatever. I never lived like with anyone like that because like my parents didn't drink like that or anything. Like my parents didn't drink at all. Uh, and like most people I've been around don't drink like that. And I lived with some people who like five days a week, six days a week, like five days a week would come home, have a, like two to three beers after work, and like on the weekends go out and like do some heavy drinking each weekend, and just like lived like that for like two years. And I wouldn't say he was an alcoholic, like knowing him up close, but then I look at it like from a perspective, I'm like. That's a lot more beer than I can consume. Yeah. Well, you start, you just time. go take out the recycles, and then it's just like a 30 every week, light. You know, I'm just like, oh, damn, we're going through it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. All right. Uh, well, potheads, if you're out there listening, Bernie Sanders, if you're out there listening, baseball players, if you're out there listening, uh, who do you want to hear this podcast? Who out there do you hope listens to this podcast and gets to know your story? Why not, Bernie? You just listen to my story, Bernie. Okay. You want, anyone else you want to throw into the mix there? No. You want your parents to hear this? No. You want your, your friends to hear this? Nobody? Mo, Mo Dosh fans, I hope you yeah, hear this. Mo Dosh, uh, potential this. new Mo Dosh fans, I hope you listen to this. Regardless who you are, I know that you are listening to this because everybody listens to the Those People podcast. Uh, be sure to check out Mo Dosh. Uh, can they find your photography on Instagram or other places on the internet? Thank you. Uh, gear Driven for automotive photography, one word. At and, Gear Driven? Yeah, at okay. Gear Driven. And at Mega... Dodo, oh Jesus, Megadodo hyphen pub, no, underscore, I'm sorry, at Megadodo underscore P-U-B. This is like the 11th time I've said this in this podcast, but we gonna have to work on your branding, bro. Eventually we're gonna buy you bendulong.com, we're gonna figure this out. No, uh, I already had that, I don't need it anymore. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, check out Ben Dulong's photography at Gear Driven and at Megadodo underscore pub. M-E-G-A-D-O-D-O underscore P-U-B because that's easy to fucking remember. Yep. Uh, you can also <laughs> check out Mo Dosh. Uh, that's M-O space D-A-A yeah. with an umlay over the second A-S-H. Uh, you can find them on Facebook or where else? Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Check out them on Bandcamp. Uh, I really do love their music if you have me in the New England area. Check them out live. They're so much fun fucking live, man. It's such a great time live. Uh, so i definitely come out and come check them out. Uh, you can find me, as I mentioned at the top of the show, at Mitch Gaines, pretty much on the internet, anywhere I want to be found. Check me out, MitchGaines.com, at Mitch Gaines on Twitter and on Instagram, anywhere else you want to find me. Uh, if it's not at Mitch Gaines, then it's not me. Uh, <laughs> easy enough. Thank you again for doing this, Ben. Uh, thanks again to everyone out there listening and supporting the show. Until uh, next time, I am Mitch Gaines. This was Ben Dulong, and we are all those people. Thank you so much. Just put it back Don't have to be me